respond to him and pray. Heavenly Father, we do ask that your word may be a blessing to us tonight as it's read, as it's preached, as we receive it, that the Spirit who has inspired your word may also be at work in us so that we would receive the truth of the gospel uh, and take it to heart and see our lives be impacted by your word. We're thankful that your word always goes out and accomplishes what it sets out to do, never returns void. We take that to heart too as we pray this prayer. We'd ask that you would hear us in the name of Jesus. Amen. We are going to be taking a look tonight at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, and then also consider Lord's Day 52, which you can find in the Psalter hymnals. It's the last of the Lord's Days, as the Catechism is divided up into 52 Lord's Days. And we're looking at question 127, which is on page 63 in the back of the hymnal, the Psalter hymnal. Uh, we look at the sixth petition from the Lord's Prayer. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Before we take a look at that, we're going to be taking a look uh, at the Word of God to Ephesians 6, starting with verse 10. And we pick up God's Word there. As the Apostle Paul, by the inspiration of Spirit, writes, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace." In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. We take up uh, in response to the word of God, the Heidelberg Catechism, question 127, Lord's Day 52. One question there, dealing with the sixth request there, and that's this, what does the sixth request mean? And the answer that's given is, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, means by ourselves we are too weak to hold our own even for a moment. And our sworn enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh never stop attacking us. And so, Lord, help us 
and uphold us and make us strong with the strength of your Holy Spirit so that we may not go down to defeat in this spiritual struggle but may firmly resist our enemies until we finally win the complete victory. May God's word indeed be a blessing to us this evening. We have it ministered to us tonight. The congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, I would imagine that most of the time when we are petitioning the Lord in prayer, uh, most likely we are thinking about what it is that we want to have happen or what it is that we need. And when we pray the Lord's Prayer, for instance, we're praying, at least at the beginning, right, we're praying four things. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. But we find also that there is room to pray for things that we do not want. The one negative in the Lord's Prayer, you might say, you'll call it a negative, is that we, we be not led into temptation. After all of these positives, we end with a negative. Some of our praying as God's children in Christ then is for what we don't want. We like to pray for what we want, or at least what we need, or what ought to happen, but but we ought to also pray for what we don't want. We're not looking for temptation. And we focus on two reasons for that tonight. Those who pray to the Father for Jesus' sake do so as those called, as we find in our passage here, and as we're reminded as we hear from the Catechism, that we're called to fight the good fight of faith. And Christians do that as those who know, as we see both in the, in the Word of God, but also as we reflect it in the Catechism, that the power of evil is great, but also that the power of our God is even greater. So we start by looking at the fact that as we're fighting to go to fight a faith prayerfully, we know that the power of evil is great. Christians pray in the midst of the Christian fight, which isn't like other fights. And we're reminded of that tonight out of Ephesians 6. Ephesians reminds us that it is not a fight against flesh and blood. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. This section reminds us a great deal as it speaks to us about the, the formidable nature of evil of what the Apostle Peter teaches also in his first epistle. It's spoken with, with a similar sort of paradox. In fact, you could extend what we're looking at from Ephesians 6 and, and take it all the way back to Ephesians 1 and you can see this occurring when you take a look at it a little closer. Uh, we, we remember that so much of the message of 1 Peter 
speaks to the calling of believers as strangers and aliens in this world to declare the praises of God who brought them out of darkness into his marvelous light through Christ Jesus, and to do that by seeking to live in peace and submission in the various circles in which one found oneself as a Christian, as far as it depends on that. And in doing that, as we recall that, they would live like Christ. They would be like Christ. They would be Christians, followers of Christ, who bonded them to him, who united him to them as their chief shepherd and overseer of their souls, and did it through his submissive spirit to his father. And so they weren't at, they were not to be, as Peter would mention then in light of that, at warfare in their relationships. That was not supposed to be the hallmark of their walk in this world. What they were, where they were supposed to be warring was with their sinful desires that were warring against their souls. That's where the battle was supposed to be found. And Paul speaks in very similar terms in Ephesians. And we recall that he first speaks in, in Ephesians 1 and 2 of the wonders of God's grace, right? Both eternally and then in time. Electing a people to himself in Christ from eternity and recreating a new humanity to himself in Christ in time. And why? Why? So that peace might be found, right? Both with God and then also among different races as Jesus calls Jews and Gentiles together. Or we might say, uh, going beyond that into our context today, you know, black or white. Or, as Ephesians wants to talk about, within marriages, within families, within workplaces and certainly within the church of Jesus Christ. That all in the aftermath, we see that so much in, in chapters 3 and 4 and 5 and 6. And remarkably, up until this point in this letter of Ephesians, the thrust of the instruction is about peace and harmony and unity and bonding together in the truth and promoting that bond with speaking the truth in love, speaking words of encouragement, coming together in Christ, staying together in Christ by His Word and by His Spirit. As with Peter, however, Paul knows that there are formidable folk, greater than any human folk, who are our enemies and have to be treated as such. There's a battle. There's a fight of faith. And as with Peter then, our battle, when we're Christians, opposed to all else that's being instructed, is against one's temptations, the devil's schemes, his fiery darts, his false accusations, his lies. You see, 
your battle, if you're a Christian person, it's not with your spouse. If you're a child here in a covenant home, you shouldn't be looking at your folks as the enemy. Your battle is not with your parents. It's not you against your parents. It's not with your elders or your church members or your employer, not even your government. Your battle, biblically speaking, is a spiritual one. Christian fight isn't like other fights. The Christian's goal, after all, up until this point in Ephesians, is peace. It's not about fighting with those with whom I've been called to peace in the truth. That, of course, doesn't mean that there aren't conflicts that we're going to face in, in all these spheres. We're not trying to be uh, painting a rosy picture that way. But up until this point in this passage... The fighting, it, it's not about fighting with those with whom we've been called to peace. But there is temptation. There's that spiritual battle that we're fighting when we're Christians. That spiritual element in foe. That's my fight. Spiritual forces, those forces that are at work against me, along with my sinful nature, and the world's perspective, something that we see in the catechism described that way, the devil, the world, and our own flesh that never stop attacking. Those are they who, who want my fight to be with flesh and blood. If they can convince me by way of temptation that I have, been, I have not been made right with God by His electing love and by the power of His grace, if they can convince me that I, I and that that's not a good thing to be involved with anyway. If they can convince me that I, I cannot come together in harmony with others in Christ, to which I've been called, according to his word. If they can make my fight a relational one. Between God and me. And, and, and me and those who are in the Lord, or my children in me, or my parents in me, or my siblings in me, and, and, and not make it a spiritual battle against evil, well then the devil has been able to dupe me in his attack against me. True, my, my wrestle, my battle is not a physical one. It's a spiritual one, which is bigger. But it's fought for the sake of the relationships that I have with God and that I have with others that I have been called to hold dear. Every day, while I'm called to peace in Christ before God and those whom I am to hold dear in Him, I am called to fight the good fight. To fight against evil and my flesh and the world's perspective, and the devil himself. And I'm called to fight the good fight of faith that way, with evil as my enemy. Not my spouse, not my fellow believer, not my Christian employee, not my Christian father or mother, 
or son or daughter, not my elder. Evil is the enemy. Jesus teaches us that very thing. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus teaches us to pray for what is good and about what is good. His, his hallowed name, his, his kingdom coming, his, his will being done for our daily needs, for forgiveness. But he concludes his prayers reaching or teaching us to pray against evil. And, and against being led away from temptation, led to temptation, to be led from temptation, to be delivered from evil. And he teaches that because he knows that evil, anything that's a, against his father, is no friend to the child of God. Any enemy of the father is an enemy of mine, says the father's child in Christ. God's children come to learn that as their Savior teaches them in prayer as they seek as they see prayer mirrored in their Christian lives. They know that God has been good to them in Christ. They, they know that their Heavenly Father comes first. They, they also know that they've sinned against Him who deserves their all. They know God's greatness, but they also know their own weakness. Now, they know that they're God's children, but, they, but they've also shown that they're not perfect children. And while God pardons them for that and reconciles and provides and direct, uh, directs, evil is, is no such friend. Evil's no ally. Evil's no help. Evil sets them back. It doesn't send them forward. Evil wants their spiritual head. Evil is a destructive force that not only wants to break down bonds that you have, but to break down people. It's a formidable foe. The terminology emphasizes that for us in Ephesians. Rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, spiritual forces. That's our enemy. And that's what we're to fight. And if we think we're a match for evil on our own, well, we won't pray about these things. And we've been deceived, but we, because we won't pray about that stuff, but, but we have deceived ourselves and we have a short memory according to the prayer that Jesus taught us because every day we add to our debt, every day we add to our sinning. And that's our debt, and that's our fault, and that's our problem. And that's us succumbing to evil's temptation. Is it any wonder that? That we pray to God, don't lead us down temptation's path. Because I know myself. You know, whether we look at what temptation wants to do, the power of darkness, or, or, or we are left to ourselves and, and considering our history. You know, this last petition is, is meant to be humbly spoken. When we're praying as the Lord has taught us in the last petition, we know that as God's children, while we're, we're to fight the good fight of faith, we are not to go out looking for trouble. We're not to go out looking for a spiritual fight. We know ourselves too well. We're looking for that kind of fight when we, 
when we don't see our spiritual weakness. Peter had to learn that lesson as he boasted on, on his spiritual power and prowess and that he would always be there for his Lord. He would never deny him. And yet Jesus had to wake him up and tell him to pray that you'll never enter into temptation. You're not as strong as you may think, Peter. You need to pray. People look for that kind of fight when they put themselves in places where they know from their history that they are too weak to stand there. It's one thing to be led into temptation by God's promises and providence and God's purposes. It's another thing entirely to put yourself there yourself when you know you can't handle being there. And if you know, you know, you know, if you're standing on the freeway and you know that the freeway is dangerous and that you were hit there before, or you got down on the county blacktop or US 75, you wouldn't go out there and stand there again and again because you're looking for trouble. When you're somewhere where you know that you shouldn't be and when you are not where you should be. At work or with family or with uh, worshiping the Lord or communing with His people. We're leading ourselves into temptation that way. So temptation's strong. Evil's strong. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. The devil uses even the things that can be good and, and, and makes, them objects of, makes them objects of temptation so that they become more important than God's cause and God's people and, and God's people and God's priorities in one's life. The devil schemes against us and he does it so powerfully and, and, and so we pray with the recognition of that. We know that power when we admit to our sin, we know it from the testimony of God's word and the teaching of our Savior. So we know the power of evil is great when we're fighting the good fight of faith prayerfully. But of course, we also know that as we pray in the knowledge of evil's power, we're also aware, just the fact that we're, we're, where it is that we're going with our prayers, that God's power is greater still. That he who's with us is greater than he who's in the world. That we can do all things through him who gives us strength. That those who are with us are greater than those who are with them. And our Father is so great that he is... Uh, that he is sovereign over the temptations of life. That's why we pray, lead us not into temptation. He's sovereign over those. What, what evil means for evil, then God can take it and use it for our good. By the Spirit of God, Jesus is led into the desert to be tempted by the devil. On the cross, Jesus is tempted to come down from the cross. These are temptations of evil, but they are tests of God, which Jesus passed perfectly as no one else did. And of course, that's our gospel hope. But yeah, right, we're not supposed to lead ourselves into temptations, Lair, but God, in his inscrutable ways, as he deems fit, will lead us into places so that we might be tested of him. Now, others may mean it for, for our evil, but God will use those testing times to mold us to make us after his will. It's a great comfort to know the greatness of God in the midst of our temptation. It's a great comfort to know that he's sovereign over those times. 
it's comforting to know that, that, that God can take temptations and make them His tests. We're not where we are, and that's a comfort too, accidentally or without purpose. God's purposes, His providences, are, are greater than evil's intention. Evil tries to tempt us to believe that God is smaller than our sins, smaller than our crises. Evil schemes to make evil good and, and good evil. And from the point of view of Ephesians, the devil would rather have us believe that, that we haven't been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ, as the letter begins. That we haven't been lavished with that grace. He would rather that we not pray that the cause of Christ would be magnified in the lives of his people and those who proclaim his word like the Apostle Paul was doing. You'd rather that you not worship him, that, that you would take no pleasure in promoting harmony among his membership. He'd, he'd take great delight that we'd be malicious, that we'd break down our marriages, that we could do what we could to put wedges there, uh, to treat our employees like dirt, to dishonor those in authority over us in our churches, in our workplaces, in our homes. That's what would happen and does happen without the power of God. It's not natural for us to grow in grace, to grow in sanctification, to, to overcome the temptations of unbelief and disobedience. It just doesn't happen naturally. That's why we need the power of God. That's why we pray to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who Ephesians says in chapter 121, is far above all rule and authority. We pray to him who was rich in mercy when we are part of the sons of disobedience and he made us new in Christ. We pray as those who knew that that was the way that we used to walk and by the power of God we're convicted that we don't want to walk like that anymore. And that's why we pray and pray again every day because every day is a battle. Every day we battle, and, and we need to be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. We don't just say, be strong. We say, we need to be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Was peace to us displayed to powers just how powerful God and His Christ truly are over the hosts of darkness. That He could 180 us, that He could transform us, that we're no longer the sons of disobedience, we're no longer in the darkness, we're in the light, we're sons of God, sons and daughters in Christ before God. In the days of the fall, Adam and Eve's sin exposed their shame, naked before God. But it was God who was able to supply for them the robes of righteousness, right? That, that took that shame away. Ephesians 4 says that we're called to put off what's old in our lives and put on what is new in living sanctified lives in light of God's grace in Christ and all those relationships to which he's called us. 
And here those garments act like spiritual battle gear. And we put on that gear as those who possess the truth of God's word, the salvation of Jesus Christ and his righteousness, and those shod with the gospel, protected in the certainty of faith in the gospel. And whenever God's word is in our grasp to fend off evil. The power of God is greater than the power of evil. It's the only way we can fight off temptation, which is why we pray for it, and we find that power in the spiritual battle gear God supplies. And even here, we're, we're praying for what God promises. God began a good work in us, and he'll see it to the end. Well, at the end of this prayer, we're reminded that God will see his children to the end. The end of their battles here on earth, but also the end of all time. When the final deliverance from evil is going to be ours to enjoy forever. That will be the end of this prayer in another way. Because at that time, what God has promised and what we have prayed would happen will have been answered to the full. That's what makes, in part, this place for the petition so appropriate. It's remarkable that while we're called to peace in Christ, that we see so much in Ephesians, that we have such a fight on our hands. And it's quite a fight against quite a foe. But our help is greater than our fault when we're Christians. And we'll win that fight as God's children in Christ. So let's keep praying for that victory. Let's keep praying for God's leading so that we'll be up to the fight as soldiers of the cross of Jesus Christ, children in the one family of the Heavenly Father, who on the one hand calls us to a spiritual battle, on the other hand, in order that we might live in the peace of Christ. Amen. Let's take a moment to respond in prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, by ourselves we're too weak to hold our own even for a moment in battles to which you called us, and our sworn enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh never stop attacking us. So as you're calling us, dear Heavenly Father, to the kinds of peace to which you've called us, first before you, and then in all the relationships that you've given to us, uphold us and make us strong so that in seeking to live out that peace of Christ, we might be good spiritual soldiers of our God and Savior so that we won't go down to defeat and spiritual struggle, but we'll firmly resist our enemies until we finally win the complete victory that only you can provide. We accept our prayers, Lord, as we bring them before you in Jesus' name.